I saw the whole deaf and dumb school healed en masse. And I turned around and I saw their teachers crying because they'd lost their job now. Joy is actually a skill. Contentment is actually a skill. These things come out of maturity. I would say to my younger self, there is a life available for more joy and more meaning and more adventure and more satisfaction, but it's a life that you cannot get independently. Welcome back, guys, to the Incense Podcast. For those of you who have been following along for at least two episodes, we'll know that Blaine is something of a word file there's probably a word for that and i bet blaine knows it and that's really kind of the point oh god (laughs) (laughs) blaine loves language and being playful with language and kind of dissecting what we mean when we say words that sometimes we just forget the definition of because we use them so often they become kind of like pepper in your cooking which most people put in there to justify salt I put salt in to put more pepper in. It's so good if you get phenomenal pepper. So there's something to be rediscovered and gained there. And because it's summer, we've got something of a a more playful podcast this week as Blaine gets to bring some pairings that, you know, like wine and cheese. Um, Actually, that's the only pairing I can think of. I'm glad you're the one behind this. (laughs) Wine and cheese, uh, sadness and alcohol. Uh, making out and sunsets lots of pairings so yeah <laughs> words uh this one sort of came up because of uh language bits that run tandem that we think are interesting so yes language not just interesting there's uh, there's implications here right like absolutely language uh just for those of you that are interested speaking of making out just the way of the tongue so kind of fun, <laughs> kind of fun you sound like thing. the you sound like my high school teacher who was like that's kind of fun that's kind and of spicy fun. but don't go try it kids uh you know the word word comes from it's the german vert which means word <laughs> I, I might be regretting this choice right now uh but it also kind of can mean the said thing so that's cool so i picked let me look at my sheet again to go yeah let's just start with the coolest one of uh did you ever know did you you want to start with why this matters why language matters oh my gosh language all right this is important thank you sam so what is it language we're recovering if you listened to the postmodern episode from thinking of language as a sign system this is an interesting tidbit last week we recorded with mako fujimura his dad worked with Noam Chomsky on generative grammar at sort of the middle of the 20th century. Generative grammar is sort of the pinnacle of structuralist linguistics, which just believe that there are sort of these set pieces of language. And if you figure out how to arrange them like building blocks, you can sort of delineate everything that can possibly be said or all of the functions that a language is capable of performing and then it's simply an issue of arranging those functions guess what not totally accurate doesn't seem to be how language works instead this is the way that we need to think of language is when you were a kid do you remember making leaf rubbings with crayons and paper 
Sure. So there's this thing. The hand turkeys. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't make a hand turkey with a rubbing. I would just trace my hand. I remember making lots of small child crafts. Okay, so those leaf rubbings where you have a real thing from the world, and then you lay a piece of paper over it, and then as you rub the crayon over top of the paper, the leaf becomes visible. That's a great way of thinking of how language works. If there's this thing that's the common world, and then we have this activity, which is using words, through which the world becomes visible. Why etymology is so interesting is that while we have a sort of limited vocabulary, it's called like lexemes, how many base word parts we actually have in the language, that's always limited. Though it's growing, it's limited. But we have this massive variety of experience sort of moment to moment, and we have to reach into the bag and grab a common word. And so that's why when you look up a word, uh, I don't know, like generosity, you go, wow, this, this has so many different meanings because so many different people carrying a unique part of the image of God have used it in a different way to point out something that was available to them in experience and therefore, they actually make the world that we occupy together more visible. Another way of putting it is that language is the repository. It's the holding place of all of our experiences. And it's super fun because you can, let's go back to generosity, you can read a book on generosity. Or you can just go generosity etymology. Where does that word come from? And you get this really interesting thing where that G-E-N root is one of the oldest pieces of language that we use in English because it's not Latin, and it's not Germanic, it's Indo-European, so we don't actually know where it comes from totally, but it just has to do with birth and beginnings. So generosity is actually a revelation of noble birth that used to describe a quality of a person who came from a great family, say, in Rome, but the sort of implications of being magnanimous, being great-minded, and being inclusive were already there inside this concept of generous, which, which just means of noble birth. It doesn't mean giving originally. Very cool words. Everybody is leaning forward to know what the first word pair is going to be. <clears throat> I think probably a lot of people are a little bit overwhelmed, and they feel like their word bag that they pull from is quite small. Maybe until you begin to go, wow, we use words like faith all the time. And it's really interesting because why do we have a word for faith, hope, belief? So glad you didn't say trust. I left love out because love, I think, gestures, you know, there's a lot said about how those words function. But, you know, let's just take that one. Oh my gosh. The word in the New Testament, Greek, is pistis. But it's really mo the way that most people employ faith when, they have to, when they're sort of pushed to define it is actually something that has more to do with, like, belief or trust. Um, but there's, you know, interesting evidence of the way that that, the context in which that word is used and the context in which the New Testament was written has a lot to do with allegiance. Like, who are you bound to? And that your pistis is your allegiance to Christ as your king, this kind of sort of covenantal bond. And so, yes, we have the verse explaining faith is, you know, trust in things that are not seen, et cetera, et cetera. And then you have the sort of charge to reproduce the original meaning of the speaker 
who wasn't i'm just gonna get off on this tangent now well i think that's why i wanted to start us here and then now we can go more lighthearted because we have done podcasts on language and postmodernism and meaning and being able to hold on to waypoints and values and things like that and language just at the outset kind of seems obvious and it's something we use every day it's something that like really geeky people maybe get a dictionary's word of the day emailed to them and that's that we all understand what we mean when we talk or if we don't there's probably some other language issue um and yet scratch just a little beneath the surface and all these issues of meaning and the world and identity start popping up and so there's some phenomenal podcasts we've actually already done on that for those of you that are interested um even worth revisiting but that's not what today is about today because it's june is meant to be a little more lighthearted, and you've picked some words that pair and are going to reveal something to us absolutely what's your first one the first one <clears throat> i'm sort of debating so the first one uh has to do with time and if you think about the words that are used to delineate time uh you get to the stem chronos or you know chronologically a chronograph all of these where does this concept of time c h r o n o s though it wouldn't be written that way in greek cuz it's a greek word but time uh we have chronological time well, a sequence of events Super fun, super fun where our time words come from because they're both the name of a god. And, you know, like, just think for a minute if instead of talking about a chronological history graph or history class, a history graph, I was thinking of a chron chronology and a chronograph, a chronological history class. What if it was called, like, you know, a, a zoological history class you would be like poseidological right you're like wow that is a study of time in the fashion of that god what is that god like um chronos chronos we probably know from the incredibles movie was a superhero who died uh, before the action of that film but is also uh, uh the titan who exists sort of in the greek universe uh Titans predating most of the Greek pantheon. Yes. And in, sort of being great and terrible. Exactly. So Kronos, this is the guy, the cat who ends up being known as like Father Time, which is super ironic for reasons we will see in about two minutes, I'm guessing, because Kronos is in the Greek uh, cosmology. He is the son of Gaia and Uranus. He is the sun of the earth and sky, which is cool uh, because, you know, it sets him as the ancient being in this world between the two most important elements. Uh, Kronos then, for sort of whack reasons, decides to castrate his dad, this guy. Um, some versions of the story, he's doing this great act because it's actually, I think this god Orpheo, uh, could be wrong, who's a bad guy, and he's liberating humanity. Most cases, though, Kronos uh, is going to take power from his dad, Oedipus Complex style, castrates his dad with a sickle, which is why time, Kronos' time, death always has that sickle. 
That's Kronos. Usually, I don't normally associate the the hooded figure of death with the sickle with Father Time. Oh, I, I identify those as two different things. No, no, they're the same being. That's great, though. That's a great observation. So it's like the Grim Reaper and Father Time. Father Time is like the guy, the sleeping giant under the mountain in the silver chair. Super fascinating. This is something we maybe gestured toward in the podcast on the story, but to watch the way that these mythical, tropological figures emerge inside culture and the ones that are the same, it's always worth going, wait, hang on. Why is the symbol for death the same as the symbol for time? Why did that end up getting Uh, employed in those two ways, right? So Kronos castrates his dad. He's the symbol for death. Part of the reason for that is what he ends up being used to describe is that function of time that's like this. You know, beat after beat, moment after moment. It's it's the inevitable march. Quantitative, right. And it's so funny because actually more than the one that we're going to get to, Kronos is entirely conceptual. We can think of a sequence of events of go, okay, so imagine a period of time. Imagine a period, which we're going to call like as long as this clap. Okay, and now think that another one comes. And then you can sort of, you can intuitively get to this clapping thing I'm doing. Only in intuition. If we look at, you know, we get like... Our, our functions of time and space co-equivalent from forms of uh, atomic motion but we know that I'm just gonna it doesn't matter if you don't understand this everybody this is super nerdy not our main point but because we know that atomic motion is relative uh, meaning you have to measure it against another thing you have to measure it inside a context Rel- we, relative meaning relational relative meaning relational yes exactly two words that are related not irrelevant Man, that was so well put. Mm. I have. I read I, that on Pinterest. Somewhere. I, have you? You have it put, chills. <laughs> I'm is, kidding. Um, but we should Pinterest that later. So, Kronos. What I'm saying here is that this idea of sequential time, it is like an intuition, like a perfect circle, because we can think of a sequence, but there's not really indication that this sequence exists out there in the universe it's something that we employ to measure our days because it's it sort of works and we all i think we all get fascinated when clocks fail or the ways that you know like the mayan calendar ran out of time or the way that you know certain clocks move slightly too slowly even though they're not really moving too slowly they're moving the way they were designed to make it just doesn't happen to perfectly coincide with the motion of the earth around the sun very interesting stuff chronos what do we know about him yet so far? You want to recap? Castrated his dad. <clears throat> yep. Also known as the Grim Reaper um, is the, the chronological time, which we use as kind of like a framework for the past and the future. Um, it's a clock. Cronus is a clock. The reason, by the way, it's funny that his father time is because he eats most of his kids, except for Zeus and Poseidon and Hades titans pretty messed up pretty messed up he gets overthrown after the whole kid chomping thing because one of those ironic things that you're told that when your kids is going to overthrow you or maybe you intuit it because you overthrew your dad so you try to eat them as you know everybody does just a human problem it's kind of silly he didn't just use his sickle maybe he just didn't have it that day in all the all the classic paintings where he's doing this he's like 
naked in the wilderness and his kids are like gingerbread men sized so yeah maybe they thought that he just didn't have a titanic he was like just got out of the bath my children <laughs> I, you're gonna betray me dad stop it so he then tries to kill them all and sort of you know does he cause it because he's been killing them exactly yeah, right anyway yeah he's chronos so you are pairing chronos with another god uh who we all know kairos nope don't know him <laughs> yeah so kairos not very well known um because he is well it's actually the greek word for seasons no weather not seasons that's different uh happens to be the word they would use for weather and it has to do with the qualitative part of time so he's the god of the opportune moment Mm. um and how he's depicted is just hysterical where he's this young man with super long hair balancing on a ball that he's sort of running on he's just like perched on that He's like a circus clown. Position. He's like a circus clown, and he's carrying a razor. And the oh idea <laughs> sounds, <laughs> sounds safe. And the idea with Kronos is that you have to, as he flies by, you have to snatch his hair. And he is the you know this civilization beginning to identify that point which we have you know in the Bible as there is a time for all things. There is an appropriate time, like. And I think that mostly I know these because I just am so aware that of missing these moments so often. But this is the moment where, like, you're, you know, searching agnostic friend says something and you know it's the right time to say, listen, I think you need to consider Jesus. And then you would, like, sort of watch the moment pass. That's a chirotic moment. When you are on a date with a girl and like all of a sudden you get that feeling as you're driving the car like i need to reach over and take her hand and you're like oh no because you know the thing that there's so much pressure with kairos is because he comes out of nowhere and then the moment is really there but you're also aware that it's passing and that if you miss on that damn ball he's he's going so fast you don't know where he's gonna go next think of a (laughs) ball on an uneven landscape (laughs) and there's sort of a is he going to use that razor on you? So the razor is is that he can just, the precision of division of a moment. Oh. So and it's more kind of an imagery thing rather than a castrating thing. Yeah, he's not, he doesn't castrate anybody that I know of <laughs> in Greek mythology, which is huge. Um, oh, this is cool too for Kairos while we're riffing. The, so the term which means weather and describes this god, it also describes the moment in archery when the arrow is ready to be fired. So mm. it's like a piece of technical language for when you've hit that magical r- point where you can just feel that it's that I'm ready to release this arrow. So uh, this is really cool when we begin to think of our time in this way because most of the time we think of our time chronologically because it's, it's the thing that we can share. We can all say we're going to It is th- currently 1 o'clock. And I will see you at one fifty at certain place. Exactly. And we can say, this week has seven days, and I'm going to do this on each of these days. It's very convenient because you don't have to compare what's right for you, what God is calling you into in a particular moment. Mm. But you, we really have to recognize when we think about our time, we think of, you know, usually like, oh, my gosh, I just th- I have this much time to do my afternoon, day, week, whatever. Uh, But when you think of, okay, well, what if instead of that, 
you can think of time as sort of this in inhabiting your time there's this sequence of opportunities that every moment you happen to be occupying has a quality which makes it fit for a particular kind of task as you talk about these two forms these two names these two gods of time chronos is incredibly helpful in a society that is structured and has the the work day the home front the the work week and all of that we need these bookends these these frameworks and yet it's almost like we need kairos more because we don't just experience life like one block after the next we experience life as a story we experience this narrative arc and flowing movement of drama and catharsis relief tension downtime like there's no day even structured as it is within 24 hours that just feels like this is hour one this is hour two well exactly and exactly on that point think of Cronus would say I am let's say 25 years old I should have a job that pays X and is upwardly mobile in these ways because that's the 25 year old Kronos job where you could go, I am in this period that we name the 20s, maybe the 30s. Or the 40s. Could be bigger. What, how, how do I inhabit this time? And we have this innate sense of what's appropriate to the moment. And it's this one thing that the Holy Spirit can use to sort of direct you in how you ought to be using your day, how you should be conceiving of your summer, how you should be conceiving of your year. There's this, one of the awesome advantages of thinking in terms of Kronos and Kairos, and this is from Henry Nouwen. When, when Henry Nouwen writes about the razor, he goes, we are interceding in moments, the quality of which is in the balance to divide lightness and dark in the way that we treat people, in the way that we respond to God. There is there is a qualitative dimension of time, but it's also, you know, in the world at war, contested. And Kairos tells you that, no, you can actually divide good and evil inside your time by recognizing that it's fought for and then choosing towards the things that God is actually calling to you that are actually restorative, that open up opportunities for redemption. And it can be the, the question, the surprise show up, or the regular show up, or whatever it is. It's inhabiting the quality of your time. Kronos, Kairos. So what next? Let's just do maybe two more. Oh, man, this is good. This one's going to have its own podcast, but two words uh, that maybe, unless you read Amsons or just read a lot, you might not know are connected, are identical twins. Uh, the first word is economy, and the second word is ecology. Oh my gosh. They're so much the wow. same. So they're the same word, eco, which comes from the Greek word oikos for household and household doesn't just mean like i don't know five people 
living in a suburban house together, in the case of our youth, household can describe the family as an extended network of relationships. It can mean the material presence, sort of the entire endowment of a community, so the household is buildings, lands, roads, all of that. It can be either of those two things. So we have house, the, the oikos, the household, and then these two other words. So the oikos and the nomos in terms of economy and the oikos and the logos in terms of ecology. And why this is so important is that these two ride absolutely together. And people like Wendell Berry, for obvious reasons, have pointed out that as soon as we start to consider, but you know, also Norman Versba and other theologians, as soon as we think that economy is its own thing without an ecology, we actually don't have a conceptual basis to stand on. So, eco, oikonomos, economy. The nomos means laws or customs. Logos is logics and reason inherent in a place. So, you can say your ecology, your household logics, your household reason is actually in the place where you live, in the thing that you are called to, what are the, what are the intrinsic patterns and how can you know them? And so what are the things that are just given there? And, you know, if you ever try to garden, you'll know that some plants grow in one region and not another. Some need full sun. Others need to be in the shade. This is the ecology happening where there are these things already given to you, like that blue grama grass grows great in sandy soil. And so if you plant that in sandy soil, it will start to grow and it doesn't need that much water. You have reason already happening, ecology. And then the idea is that of your economy is that you establish laws and customs to sort of safeguard and align to the existent patterns, reasons of your place. Your face needs to look more blown right now. I mean your mind, but visible on your face. <laughs> your face needs to be blown away right now about, but wait, we think of economy principally in terms of market economy, exchange, economies, blah, 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 money. I think of ecology as frogs and economy is my dollars that's basic yeah yep and that is why we are just in the totally emaciated position of understanding how wealth works and what it is uh, very Wendell Berry well and that's why we need someone to you know that's why we need people to tell us wealth is the things that you have that can't be bought we need people to tell us that there are spiritual dangers of not owning a farm and being connected with ecologies oh they'll be appalled yeah and what we need is to look and go okay my my economy needs to live in relationship with my ecology, the things that I'm given right now, and these things together will constitute my eco, my oikos, my household activity. This is super important, you know, for people like, I don't know, most of us who are still in our 20s who experience in economy is our own experience of limited resources mm. and go, what we sort of need to do is increase resources and you can go well you yeah that's the world does say that it doesn't make sense in the end you can't have infinite resources in a limited resource environment i mean we talked about this a little while ago in the wealth podcast um because it is something that we keep circling back around to 
particularly as young men who look at a world that says, if you're not driving a BMW, you're behind and you failed. If you aren't living in a certain size house with a certain size uh, garage and yard that looks a certain way, like you were, you failed. Um, and, and to that, we threw things like Chesterton's quote of like, there are two ways to have what you want. One is to acquire it. The other is to desire less. Um, and in this context, it seems like we would tweak that quote to say, like, you're desiring the wrong things or actually uh, we're letting society dictate some of the things that we put value in, whether we're aware of it or not. Yes. Yes. Which, if any of you haven't yet, I'm sure probably most of you have listened to the World podcast. You know how we feel about the, the society and the shipwreck, uh, Thomas Merton's words, that we need to swim for from our for our lives we need to swim from the shipwreck for the sake of our lives because it's just it's a disaster it and i think what i would name in an ecology of the reasons and logics inherent in a place the study of a thing is to go to know your ecology doesn't just mean to know the biological patterns of your environment you know if you are like me my ecology the stuff that's there includes the way my bike functions it includes the way my body functions and when i feel well and when i do not feel well it includes the way my heart functions and how i do in union with god and how i do without union with god we have these things bodies souls spirits that really are ecological. They have patterns that are given. What's phenomenal about this too is this is a kind of capacity that you, when you build, it applies in every situation, right? Like that so many things that we train in ourselves, whether it's business savvy or even a certain kind of fitness, they apply in that world. And as soon as you go into a different world, you feel like a fish out of water and you try to like have conversations about that world because that's where you feel safe. This is the kind of ability where you could drop in anywhere and it's like having survival skills for the soul and knowing how to navigate your world. Absolutely. I think the way that I would frame it is if you understand economy, really, if you understand, let's say, let's say if we're going to understand wealth in terms of economy and ecology, what it means is look at what are the given things, the ecologos, and then think through what the pattern of your life should be in response. Okay, give us, give us another one before we wrap this thing up. Okay, one more. You know how I sort of rail against the conception of these notional aggregations of comments online as communities? Yeah, I mean, most people would probably phrase that differently i mean if you just look at what's there what i'm so all right social media uh which calls itself blaine you hate social media no i do not i listen to the mako fujimura podcast like everybody and think that if we could create and seek each other in that space the world would be better so instead of just any maybe instead of targeting the digital world again which i don't really we do like to beat up on yeah and we like to throw rocks at but just go oh my gosh you know you can i just think that most things that call themselves communities are sort of n- not and this is why so 
what are some of the other words that we use for like a community? Cult. Uh, but we actually don't use that word anymore. We so it's it's a closed high demand group, oh. which is four words. <laughs> <laughs> no hyphens. Ooh, that'd be hilarious. Uh, consortium, convocation, group. Consortium. People. Sure. That that feels collegiate. Yeah. So, community. Where does this is interesting to get to understand community? We have to talk about this other word, which is snob. Do we really? Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, do you know how would you use snob? Uh, someone who's stuck up, uh, picky, difficult to get along with. Okay. Yeah, it's the exactly. The last time that someone probably used snob in your round, it was like, oh, you coffee snob. Oh, he's a wine snob. Snob, snob, snob. Oh, I guess I'd use that that way too. Uh, if someone's a snob, they're just yeah. But there is there is like a elitist picky sure. thing so where does the word snob come from it's very interesting uh there's like an apocryphal story that is super fun that thinks that it comes from that it's um, an abbreviation of sina nobilis of when they were announcing people at a party if a person was not in england like you know oh, here's james you know duke of blah 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 if someone w- did not have a noble rank attached, they would just put this sine nobilis snot and then they abbreviate it to snob. Probably that didn't happen, but it's a fun story because it is very it is very much like what it really comes from, which is Oxford, England. There's a college there, and a snob was a shoemaker. So a, a snob was a slang term for a cobbler. It wasn't demeaning. It was just oh you're a, oh you're a snob. Yeah. Um, but then college students in a crazy turn figured out a way to make it kind of cynical and condescending which costumes are very like good at have never done i've never done that uh-huh, uh-huh. i just knew fun fact a lot snob one of those words the more you use the less it has meaning snob. i'm thinking snob, about snob. Of like a bird it's very okay so it's a shoemaker and then the oxford university students Many years ago, I think we're talking like 16th century here, honestly, so a long time, you know, Protestant Reformation is happening. And they just start to use snob to describe to anybody who's not a university student. So it's like ah. there's us and them. There's the the intelligentsia <laughs> and the snobs. Yeah. And they go, and then, so, but some of these snobs, oh my gosh, as time goes on, start to get into the school. And now you have snobs who are also intelligentsia. And you go, okay, but, you know, as happens when people in sort of the classic context of come from a low station and are being ostracized, just think of the films we've seen where this is the trope, what happens is there's a lot of, like, pretending and posturing, like, trying to seem above your station, and those person, and then that became the thing that was a snob. Was A snob was somebody who uh, was, like, trying to act super highbrow. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think I... Yep. Yep. Pull out your machete and hack your way through the underbrush back to how this gets us to community. Well, because a snob is just the common people originally. Okay. And a community just, you know. Meant a group of the snobs. It it was just the snobs. (laughs) (laughs) The the Greeks didn't use the word snob. But it's just community. Uh, It's like the common, the common 
stuff the stuff that we have in common oh my gosh i can already see the pr campaign of community community is what we all have in common what we share oh gosh you can feel it pepsi pepsi and or my insurance company (laughs) 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 uh but yeah you know there's this idea of like a common wealth um also a common a communitas this is kind of funny uh it can also mean to be courteous (laughs) Like huh. com- communitas, I don't know how they would say it. Gesundheit. <laughs> communitas is like, you know, courtliness. You're like, oh man, that guy is so. I think the way we would say like, yeah, I've heard, some, I've never said that, but you know, did this happen where like, they would say like, he's good people. They would use good people as oh sure an yeah. adjective for a singular person. So that would be communitas. Why, if it's just the common thing, fine. If you're a community of mountain bikers and the common thing is mountain biking, that's okay. But it doesn't really work that way because, you know, in a community of, let's target at myself, in a community of, I don't know, uh, podcast listeners, uh, beer drinkers, in a community of local beer drinkers, uh, you c- everybody has who has this quality has self-selected and said the thing, the common thing is beer drinking. And then Blaine raises his hand in the background and goes, okay, so that is a common thing that you had. And technically, yes, you share it, but it is not a common resource that is sort of the only thing you have in common that you have to, you have to relate with one another in order to figure out the management of this common thing, which is why community rides together with a consortium. It's, also like cohort very similar etymology where it's like con with sort share so like this is the this is the shared thing and to think of community like everybody laughs at local government but it's one of the best illustrations of what community actually is because you go okay we have this thing called a neighborhood and the common thing is this space and what we have to figure out how to do now is how are we going to make rules about this? Can that person paint their house pink? If everybody has to look at it, if the visuals of our landscape are a shared thing, you know, is any, is everybody allowed to blow out their sidewalk to put in a patio? And it's this shared resource, like the tribe shares resources and the sharing of the resources, like, which is really offensive to our Western sentiments, usually trumps a lot of the thing of the individual, right? Bum, bum, bum. So here's the point. Like, the reason that the kingdom of God, like a church, counts as a community is that the thing that you have is, like, the shared thing of Jesus, very little else in common, but that thing compels you into a life together that you, that you then have to figure out, how are we going to manage this shared space, this community, of the, sh- the shared resources of a life together? And another great example is a family where you share, you have a th- you hold the thing in common, which is your familyness, and therefore the resources of the family. Other than that, you're very different. Probably like people that wouldn't get along if you didn't know each other from birth or weren't forced to get along. But that is a community because you have a commonness that you are negotiating and making rules around to help manage in the favor of the people that share that common thing. Do we see the difference? 
I would be lying if I did not say my eyes are glazing over a little bit because you got to help me disentangle all of this. Okay. This is the simple thing where I would say these words help. If community, the common people, the common thing, consortium to share together. So if we begin thinking of our communities as like the common thing, one, it changes how we look around and who we name is our community. Like, I don't know, at the college I went to, they, we just loved calling ourselves a community. But, you know, a bunch of 18 to 22-year-olds living together isn't really a good representation of a community because you've all opted into this thing. You have this sameness. Your sameness is the thing that keeps you together. You don't have a shared resource that different people are having to negotiate, right? So your community is not you. Your community is external. And I think it's so interesting to have that in mind and start looking around and go, oh my gosh, this is why, like, people had to ask Jesus, like, who is my neighbor? And he's like, okay, well, the people that you are sharing this place with, like, Yes, your neighbor, but your neighbor is also going to be Jewish. So in addition, it's the person who comes through your town. It's the person who you would overlook. It's like, look around you. Boom. Neighbors. Refugees. Neighbors. In Jesus' case, because lots of, you know, Pax Romana refugees coming at that time. Um, and like, it's just like, oh, that's, that's an interesting way of allowing this repository of experience in the form of language to inform the way that I treat this thing, community, And maybe we stop thinking a little more of like, I'm a part of a church, but my community in the church are all the rock climbers who are young and have, you know, like cool jackets, like the people that I would gravitate towards Mm -hmm. and go, maybe the shared resource, which is the side of our community, which is like the gospel and the great commission is the thing that we all have to negotiate so that like, you know, the weird like tech employee middle-aged dude who I normally wouldn't like naturally gravitate towards has a seat at the table of the community. Yeah, that's good. Community has come to seem fairly exclusive and inclusive. Um, There's in groups and out groups. It it feels a little bit more tribal, but that framing is super helpful because as you're naming, like what's the common thing, it's hard not to go uh, being a human being. You're trying to find the common denominator in most stories and it is, the gospel and reality not just your income bracket or your pool membership exactly this has been super fun for me and i hope that some of these words serve as jumping off spots for you definitely there's no doubt that i think that more people should spend more time thinking about words uh simply to have access to the real world that words are designed to reveal to us. It falls smack dab in the category of how present do you want to be to the world around you, to the implications of ideas and language, to the ways that you feel called to live out those words and ideas. And though this wouldn't be the first place I would think to start, just this little bit of a word game of fleshing those things out is super helpful and super like reorienting of of from pretty foundational things, even just in the three that we did today. So anyway, lighthearted. No need to go out and change the world. But if you do want to, you can. <laughs>